welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. Welcome back, everyone. Once more, this is the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm Ryan Aris, and we are continuing our series on uh, issues facing the church, this, uh, this summer series podcast. Uh, today's episode, we've got another special guest. Our theme is Christian Compromise, and I'm very happy to welcome, I believe this is the first time you've been on the show, uh, Richard Fangrad. Yes, yeah, my first time, and I'm honored to be here. Thanks. Oh, terrific. It's, uh, it's our error that that's been overlooked. Uh, Richard's CEO of Creation Ministries International in Canada. Uh, he's the producer and the co-host of the weekly uh, TV show Creation Magazine Live, and as I mentioned, our theme on uh, Christian compromise, we're going to be dealing with the subject of theistic evolution. Now, Richard, this is, uh, this is something that uh, you, you deal with uh, quite a bit, I'm sure, in, uh, in your line of work. But uh, I've, uh, I've, I've grown up uh, in, in a Christian home, kind of being, being aware of this, uh, this model, being aware of, its, of the terminology, I guess, and right. that it exists and that in very broad strokes, it is an attempt to uh, to synthesize the the uh, what uh, what would be called the scientific commitments of an evolutionary worldview with a uh, with Christianity with a Bible the Bible and try right. to uh, try to reconcile those two things. Yeah, uh, we're uh, we're here. We've we've tipped our hand right from the beginning. Because I know where CMI stands on this issue and where you stand, uh, and we've also titled it "Christian Compromise." Sure. So we are. Uh, we, uh, that should be a, a pretty clear tip off to anyone the direction that we're going to take in this show. But uh, I want to start out. I don't. I'm. I'm not interested as uh, as opposed as we're going to be. I'm not interested in knocking down straw men. So let's uh, let's start by defining terms. Uh, and yeah. where this, uh, where the term came from, and what it, uh, what it actually refers to. Yeah, and you summarized it fairly clearly there. It's a, it's combining evolution, and this is, this is so it's not atheistic evolution. It's theistic evolution, and the idea is that um, you're a Christian and you just believe that that's how God got us here, or uh, that's that's the basic idea. And and we're actually. Uh, as, as one of the leading creation organizations in the world, Creation Ministries, we're, we're, it's, it's shocking that that has come back into popularity. Hmm. Because it, and it's shocking because in the, going back to the, the, the startup of these creation groups and so on, um, it started with the publication of the Genesis Flood in 1961. But in the 80s, by the time of the 80s, that was the heyday of the creation evolution debate. And you'd have scientists, uh, a Bible-believing scientist squaring off against an evolution scientist at a local university. The whole town would clear out hmm. to listen to these debates. Evolutionists don't do debates anymore. That, that, that's, that, that's gone by the wayside. Huh. But wonder why by, that is. by the 80s, um, there was so much scientific evidence against evolution that these debates were going on, you know, like I said, the whole town would clear out and show up at the university hall for, uh, to listen to these debates. And even back then, and then more so in the 90s and in the 2000s, and, and today there's refining of those, of the, the scientific models that are based on Scripture. God created recently, 
and uh, in six days and there was a global flood, you build your models out of that. Bible-believing scientists build models in geology and paleontology and astronomy and so on. And so if you would have approached me like 20 years ago and said, you know what battle you're going to be fighting in 20 years? Theistic evolution. We would have said, no. <laughs> that's there, There's mountains of, of, of scientific evidence. Forget the theological and, and, and rational arguments at this point. But the science against evolution working is massive. And so we would have said, no, 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 we're not, we're, that's, that's going backwards. And yet here we are. And so <laughs> we're uh, with the rise of BioLogos. That's the, that's the main um, organization. And not every theistic evolutionist believes exactly what BioLogos teaches. There's a, there's a variation in beliefs there. But um, uh, yeah, we can define some terms. Um, they, they say, for example, BioLogos, one of their goals is to, quote, promote harmony between science and biblical faith. And just pause there for a minute. That's, that's cool. That's, that's what we do as well at Creation Ministries. Uh, and every, every Christian wants to figure that one out, right? Sure. We want to figure out, well, these pronouncements, the conclusions that scientists are coming to, how does that square with what Scripture says about origins? Um, everybody wants to know that, but then it continues to promote harmony between science and biblical faith as we present an evolutionary understanding of God's creation. Well, <laughs> that, uh, that presumes that you can have a, a marrying of evolution and the Bible. That's a, that's a huge presumption, um, but nevertheless, that's what they say on their website. And, um, and, and by the way, just as we're defining terms here, people might think, listeners might think that, oh, oh, I get it. I, I understand what theistic evolution is. It's, it's, you believe in evolution, but all of those places where it doesn't work scientifically, that's where God comes in, right? No, <laughs> that is not what they're proposing. They're hmm. proposing a completely naturalistic explanation. They, they, they've written papers that they are not a God of the gaps Okay. Notion, right? That's not what they're doing, right? So God, God uses uh, evolutionary processes like an instrument, naturalistic, no God involved. It's just you believe God exists somehow, and you believe evolution. That's theistic evolution. Now, other evolutionists, I'm sure, would say, okay, yes. For example, at at the origin of life, for example, origin of life, massive scientific problems against how you go from a pool of chemicals to the first living cell. But um, th they would say, oh yeah, well, God was involved in overcoming that massive scientific problem. Um, but Biologos, the folks there, again, the main organization that teaches this stuff, and you can have speakers in your church that come and speak about uh, about how. Evolution is true, and so on. Um, they say, no, they're not a god of the gaps. And we would, we would point out, well, that's more of a science of the gaps then, isn't it? Hmm. So where you don't have answers now, like the origin of life, for example, you're just waiting for a scientific explanation. So it's not a god of the gaps, it's a science of the gaps then. But anyway, we can, we can define, uh, the, the, they talk about evolution as science, and this is a common thing. You read this in textbooks, you go to school, you see this, it's in documentaries, yep. evolution is science, and so on. So we, we need to clarify that before moving on. Science involves things like observations. You go into a lab, or you go out in the field, and you observe certain things happening with living things, or the physical earth, rocks and fossils, or whatever it might be, or the atmosphere, the stars, or whatever. 
science has to do with observations. Creation and evolution are histories. Mm-hmm. They are histories. Right. They are yeah. not, both creation and evolution are in the same boat here. They're both pronouncements about the past, things that cannot be observed. Can't be observed, can't be repeated. Can't be repeated. That's a re- repeatability, falsifiability. Yeah. Other things that are key to science. And uh, those, that, that's, that's not evolution and it's not creation. Evolution and creation are beliefs about history. And so that's, the, that's an important distinction that we, we've yeah. made this over and over again. But most theistic evolutionists just equate science with evolution. Well, evolution is science. It's science. It's, it's proven scientific fact, but it's not. How, how, did we, how did we come to this pass? You uh, probably more than most you are aware that it's not, uh, it is not respectable, it is not cool to be a, uh, what's called a young earth creationist, to believe a, the literal Genesis account. That's, there's no academic respectability in that position. Exactly. How, yeah. how did we get there? If, if uh, science uh, follows this process of observation, of constant revision, science is always in revision as, you know, better observational tools become available. Uh, if there are mountains of evidence, as you've, you've put it, uh, against the evolutionary hypothesis, what, uh, wh- why are we still fighting these kinds of battles? Because it's, it's not the science that's debated. It's, well, sometimes the observations are debated, but, but oftentimes uh, they're not debated, they're clear. Um, it's the history that's mm. debated. For example, if, if we were to go out here and, and find some fossil, whatever, when, it, when, a, when somebody finds a fossil in some strata, um, you, you say you find a dinosaur fossil or whatever, a fossil of a cat or, or something, um, that's the observation. There's a fossil in some rock. Yeah. And there's not a lot of debate about the observation. Nobody goes and looks at that and says, no, no, no it's, not a, it's not a fossil. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a bicycle. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. it's a fossil. It's in some rock. Not a whole lot of debate about the science. The debate comes on when did this animal die? How did it get buried in this sediment? How long did it take the sediment to accumulate over top of this animal? When did that happen? Uh, that's the debate. And the reason it can be debated at that level is because it's not observed. If nobody observed when the dinosaur fossil, when the, when the, when the animal died and was buried, or maybe buried alive or whatever, there's, there's different, there, we, we, can, we can talk about different views. Mm-hmm. That can be debated because it's not observed. The history right. is what's debated, not the science. Right. Yeah, just parenthetically, I, was, I saw this video sh- show up on social media not too long ago. Of uh, so, what happens uh, when a fish dies in in the ocean? I don't know if you've seen this. Yes. It's okay. So this uh, it it's time lapse, but this the whole thing still takes a couple of minutes. Uh, there's this animal dies. It's on the bottom of the ocean, and all these other ocean dwelling critters they come along and they make use of yep. all the parts. Not like not just the the meat, which you would expect, but you know, bones and all get carted away for some other purpose. And they're like, there's not a trace of it within, yes. you know, again, it's, it's sped up, but within half an hour, it, there's uh, there's nothing, no remainder. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you could, you could make a case that if the evolutionary history is true, so millions of years, the fossil record uh, is a result of slow and gradual deposition over millions of years, you could, you could make a case 
that there shouldn't be any fossils in right. the rocks. Because right. That's kind of what I was inferring yeah, from that. Yeah. yeah. At, that, at that slow rate of deposition, everything would rot, including the bones. Mm -hmm. There'd be nothing left. No, no. Noah's flood is a far, far better explanation for the rock record that we have. But that's not what theistic evolutionists believe. It's the millions of years of slow and gradual processes uh, that led to uh, humans today on the planet, basically, and every every other life form. Right. But doesn't uh, that, and that I know that uh, you're talking about science, but uh, this comes to a uh, historical or theological proposition. Uh, if you're going to propose millions of years uh, and you're going to propose uh, some kind of evolutionary schema, that necessarily requires death. Like that requires adaptation uh, by micro degrees over generations. Right. Uh, which uh, you know, doesn't, uh, doesn't fit with the clear teaching of Scripture that God created a good world. Right. Uh, that actually is an attack on the gospel hmm. in, an, in an indirect kind of way. If there's death before sin, right. then the wages of sin is not death. Right. That's a famous Bible verse that we've yes. all learned. But it was, it was then eventually Jesus' death that paid the price for sin. Now, when we say, uh, and this is a biblical principle, when we talk about no death before sin, there's a Hebrew phrase, nefesh kaya, uh, that's used to indicate a certain quality of life. God breathed into Adam, and he became a nefesh kaya. It's translated living being or living soul right. in English. And that phrase, nefesh kaya, very interesting, it's also applied to animals. Now, not all animals, we, we, the, and where that break is, it, admittedly, it's a little fuzzy, but certainly it would apply to vertebrate animals. Um, it wouldn't apply to—there's Leviticus uh, talks about the life of the flesh being in the blood, so yeah. life, something that's alive, has, has blood and that kind of thing, and then those were used in the Old Testament for the sacrificial system as a pseudo-substitute for humans, but animals can't take away sin, as we read in Hebrews, but— um, uh, Cain's offering, remember back in Genesis, Cain's offering of plants was not accepted. Right. Because plants are not nefesh kaya. Hmm. They're not technically alive in that nefesh kaya sense, so they, they can't technically die. Adam and Eve were commanded to eat plants. Right. And so there's this yep. question, well, what, if you guys say no sin before death, what if Adam would have stepped on an ant? Right. Well, that would have been fine. I'm sure Adam stepped on ants and cockroaches and whatever else. Uh, they're not nefesh kaya. They're not alive in that nefesh kaya sense in the same way. But there was no death of the nefesh kaya before the curse, before right. Adam sinned. If there was, you've got death before sin, and it's a, an attack on the gospel. Because it was sin and death are intimately linked. When Adam sinned, the curse, the result of that was that he was going to die. And, and there was many—the the curse on creation, along with Adam dying, there was many other uh, difficulties there that uh, God instituted at that time. We live in a cursed creation today. But as evolution and theistic evolution says, no, 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 the fossil record, with all kinds of nefesh kaya creatures fossilized there, it's existed for millions of years, long before Adam ever existed. So in that scheme, you've got death before sin. That's backwards. Right. And so you have the destruction of the gospel. If you work the logic through, that's what you end up with. So it's very serious. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, where where did the uh, theistic evolution uh, 
perspective or hypothesis come from? Uh, is there any basis uh, in, you know, in church history, uh, any basis in scripture for a, a, the plausibility of such an interpretation? Uh, how did it? How did it come to the prominence that it's uh, that it's attained? Yeah, it it came about kind of in the same way. Evolution is obviously related to the age of the Earth, right? Right. The Earth yeah. being very old, and that notion began to become popular in the late 1700s, early 1800s, with people like uh, 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 James Hutton in the 1700s and Charles Lyell in the early 1800s. And then Darwin brought those long age ideas into biology. Those, those men were talking about geology, mm. millions of years to lay down these rock layers. And then Darwin applied the millions of years to biology. So these little changes he thought could add up into massive changes evolving one kind to another. But at that time, there were certain pastors and, 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 and theologians that said, wow, you know, these scientists are saying that the world is millions of years old. Because before that time, the majority of the population believed the earth was young. Right. That, was, that seems incredible nowadays because so many people believe millions of years. But So there was a change at that time, and the church leaders thought, well, we don't want to seem ignorant, so let's try to get the millions of years into the Bible. And then the same thing happened with evolution in time as well. It's, wow, these scientists are talking about evolution, that we evolved from apes and so on. Uh, they, they must be right. They're scientists. And so uh, we've got to figure out how to get this into the Bible. And so it was kind of an organic thing over time. Um, but as far as biblical, you'd think, okay, well, if you're a Bible believer, if, you, if, you, if you're a Christian, <laughs> you would start with, I mean, if you really believe that God used evolution— then it should be recorded in the Bible's account of origins, you would, right. you would think, right? right? And so if you look at Genesis there, you could, we could ask very simple questions. For example, does Genesis describe an evolutionary process of simple things becoming more complex over millions of years? And any 10-year-old that reads Genesis 1 and 2 will tell you, no, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So what's the response from theistic evolutionists? Well, the response is, well... No, it doesn't say that because the complex theory of evolution, it, it, it would never have been understood by the pre-scientific Hebrew people, mm -hmm. so that's why Genesis is written the way it is. Oh, really? Well, today there are children's books on evolution. <laughs> you take out the scientific terms and you can still describe it, and that's the way it could have been written in Genesis. So that, that doesn't really work as an excuse for the theistic evolutionists. And then they say, well, well, Okay, never mind about that. What about the time scale in Genesis? Maybe we could stretch out Genesis to incorporate the millions of years needed for evolution. And they look at the word day, for example, in Genesis. Well, that can just be stretched out, uh, but it can't. Hmm. <laughs> Not in Genesis. There are, there are different usages of the word day in Genesis. You've got, uh, for example, I could, I, could just, uh, um, I could use it in three ways in a little poem here. In my father's day, it took three days to drive to Florida during dri driving only during the day. Right. So I've used the word yeah. day in three different yeah. ways. And like most words in English and in the original Hebrew, there's, there's different meanings for the word day. And you determine that very simply by the context. So in my father's day, that you, we could substitute in the word time, yeah. right? That's, yeah. an, that's an open-ended, not completely open-ended, but obviously when my dad was alive, uh, not you know, 100 years ago. Right. Uh, but yeah. we understand the meaning, right? P pretty easy. In my father's day, it took three days. Well, those are earth rotation days to drive to Florida driving only during the day. 
Okay, so there the word day means the daylight portion of one earth rotation, right? Not that hard to figure out. So take that same hermeneutic, that same interpretive principle and go to Genesis. And the first time we see the word day is in verse 5 of chapter 1. It's there twice, and it has a different meaning both times. So ver verse, uh, verse 5 is, um, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. So in the first instance, God called the light day. Like any, anyone who understands English would recognize that that's the daylight portion of an earth rotation, right? And the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. The only interpretation that you can apply to the word day in that context is one period of light and dark, a full rotation of the earth. Now, the more ambiguous meaning, time, for example, appears in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 4 says, uh, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And some, some translation, I think the NIV, says when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And that's fine. That's, that's the meaning at that location, but right. not in chapter 1. Hmm. Chapter 1, it's six ordinary days. Right. So you can't yeah. get the millions of years into Genesis for evolution to work. Um, and there's other problems, too. Then they say, okay, all right, well, that, that didn't work, so maybe Genesis is poetry. Right. Because yeah. if Genesis, if it's not recording actual historical events, maybe it's just poetry. And if Genesis is poetry, you could, you could probably put in evolution in millions of years, but it's not. Um, Hebrew scholars, for example, Dr. Stephen Boyd, uh, they've done some work on that and, and looking at what everybody knows is Hebrew poetry. We'll look at the Psalms. That's poetry, and there's no debate about that. And it has a certain structure, certain verb structure and so on. There's repetition there called parallelism, uh, different kinds of parallelism. And what he did is he did a computer analysis of the verb structure of poetry and compared that to Genesis. And the results were that Genesis is historical narrative with a probability of 99.997%. That <laughs> uh, seems fairly conclusive. Yeah, yeah, not 50-50, not, you know, maybe it could be poetry, maybe it's history, not really sure. So there's, when you look at the biblical text, it's one dead end after another for the theistic evolutionist who wants to try to make the Bible say that God used evolution. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. What uh, what about uh, just to uh, one one more sort of uh, plausible or uh, attempted explanation that I've seen is this? Uh, I think it's called the cosmic temple uh, hypothesis or framework, where the the uh, it just it kind of tries to abstract the whole conversation about historicity and say, well, that's not the point of Genesis. That God was uh, fashioning a uh, a the world into a temple, and it looks at the uh, the blueprints for for the temple, and it looks at the design of Solomon's temple, and it draws conclusions between that and the work of uh, the creation of the world in Genesis one. Yeah, yet another attempt to try to make Genesis say what it doesn't say. Mm. I mean, we could look at like, whenever someone comes up with with a new interpretation of some biblical text. Red flags should go up for all of us. We have over 2,000 years of church history here. If nobody has thought of that interpretation until now, there's a good bet that it's wrong, right? We could look back at the early church, the church fathers and the apostles. Mm -hmm. How did they understand Genesis? Right. How, yeah. 
what was the interpretation throughout church history? What was the interpretation there? And the interpretation is God created in, in recently in six days, and it was a global flood over and over again. Mm-hmm. These, these novel ideas about, well, maybe Genesis means this, or maybe it's just, um, people say, well, it's, it's, just, it's just giving us the, the why God created. But one of the things Genesis doesn't do is give us why. That's God right. never tells us why he created. He tells us when he created, tells us how. He spoke, and this happened. Then he spoke again, and this happened. He tells us how, uh, but he doesn't tell us why. That's one of the things Genesis doesn't tell us. Yeah, um, and that's, uh, it's interesting. You mentioned, uh, mentioned the church fathers and even the apostles. Uh, I'm also uh, thinking, and I think we, we spoke about this before the show, uh, Christ himself seems to take the, uh, the Genesis account as, uh, as historical. Yeah. Uh, he mentions, uh, in Matthew 23, he mentions uh, the blood of righteous Abel, uh, the, uh, the son of Adam and Eve. Yeah. Who, uh, he, in uh, Mark, he refers to you know, what Moses said when he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and become joined to his wife. Right, uh, yeah. He takes, uh, he takes it at, uh, at face value. He does, yeah. Jesus referred to Genesis as real history. Um, you, you quoted there, that was Mark 10. Uh, Mark 10 is, But from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. Mm. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's Mark 10, 6 to 8. And he's quoting here from both chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis. Jesus saw Adam as a real historical figure not a metaphor for the head of the human race, as some theistic evolutionists believe. There never was a real historical Adam. That's another big problem. But um, he says, interesting, he starts off, but from the beginning of creation. Well, in the evolutionary framework, humans don't appear until very recently, near right. the end, after, after you know 13.8 billion years of cosmic evolution, and then the Earth about 4.6 billion years ago, life starting maybe 3.8 billion years ago, and finally you get humans. That's nowhere near the beginning of creation. Hmm. And so we get a hint there from Christ himself. But um, there have been some theistic evolutionists who— so, so how do they get around that one? That's the question, right? Some theistic evolutionists, for example, Kenton Sparks, this was a paper that was on the Biologos website, uh, he said this, quote, if Jesus, as a finite human being, erred from time to time, yeah, there is no reason at all to suppose that Moses, Paul, John wrote Scripture without error, end quote. That was on the bio—that's been removed Boy. from their website now, but it, 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 that was on there for more than seven years. And there's a note at that location now on the website that says, it was originally published in the early days of Biologos, and was intended to stimulate dialogue. What kind of dialogue are you stimulating with an article that argues that Christ made errors? Right. I'm just going to throw this grenade out there to stimulate dialogue. Wow. Yeah. What are you trying to accomplish with that? It's amazing. But it gets worse than that because, of course, John 12 says, uh, Jesus speaking here, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So if Jesus was communicating error, because that's what they're saying, Jesus was wrong when he referred to Genesis as being actual history and Adam as a real person and so on, because we came from ape men, of course. And so, 
But if Jesus only spoke what God the Father had told him, then God the Father is wrong about creation too. How, Isn't he how the guy who you, did it though? <laughs> how can you propose that with a straight face as, as a Christian? You know, it, it's, uh, yeah, amazing. There's a really, really low view of Scripture among some theistic evolutionists. Peter Enns, for example, uh, he wrote this. Most Christians understand that even though the Bible assumes a certain way of looking at the cosmos, from a scientific point of view, the Bible is wrong, and that is perfectly fine. Like, hmm. Again, another theistic evolutionist, right. and saying, look, no, 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 the, 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 the Bible's account of creation, that God spoke and it all happened in six days, no, that's, that's wrong. But what, if, if you're going to use science in that kind of a position, if you're going to position science above Scripture like that, then from a scientific point of view, the Bible was also wrong about a virgin birth, two fish and five loaves feeding 5,000 people, humans walking on water, dead people coming back to life after three days, instant healings, giving commands to wind and water, etc., etc. It, it comes down to a position of authority. Yes. What is yeah. magisterial and what is ministerial? As, as Bible-believing Christians, and that should be an oxymoron, unfortunately it's not, um, but as Bible-believing Christians, we place the Bible in a magisterial, in, a, in other words, it has the authority in everything else. Every other source of knowledge and thought and reason is ministerial. So in order to understand what creation is really all about, we start with what God tells us in His Word, and then we go to what scientists are finding in the rock record, the geologists, what the astronomers are seeing in their telescopes what the, the paleontologists are discovering about fossils, and so on, what the microbiologists are, are finding at the smallest levels of life, then we can properly understand those disciplines. But clearly, theistic evolutionists, and again, most of them anyway, not, maybe not all of them, um, they'll put science in that high position of authority, and then science, again, so-called science, remember, <laughs> they mean evolution, not science, but... Mm -hmm they'll, uh, um, uh, what we defined in the beginning there, but they'll say that, no, 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 the Bible must be wrong because we know that science tells us this about the universe, etc. Right. So very dangerous. Yeah. Richard, you just mentioned uh, sort of most, not all, uh, necessarily uh, theistic evolutionists. Yeah. Are, there, are there sort of degrees or scales of that, of that position, some that might be closer or further from Scripture, but still kind of Within under the umbrella of that of theistic evolution, yeah. Or I I'm, guess uh, where when where is the where is the cutoff point? Is it uh, like I get it? It comes down down to foundations. Yeah, um, yeah. And, so. and and like many issues in scripture, there's people all over the map, different degrees of what they accept and what they don't accept. Our focus as a ministry has been mostly on what has been published, uh, what's out there and can be critiqued, what's in the public arena and can be fairly critiqued. Mm. Um, and that that really that's biologos and the and the scientists associated with that the theologians associated with that um, uh, we, we'll look at those positions and so that's most of our efforts most of our response and our critique is to what's been published by biologos but yeah there there would be people uh, that would that would be what can you say less theistic evolution right i mean <laughs> yeah 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 i guess leaning more towards an authority of scripture i'm not sure i it kind of seems like you know if you're 
if you're on a plane heading in the, in the opposite direction you're supposed to be going, it doesn't matter how close you are to the exit. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, like the late Tim Keller was a theistic evolutionist. He wrote papers for Biologos and so on. Right. And so, like, Keller has a lot of good theology. He had a lot of bad theology, too. Um, but, but there would be people who would agree or disagree with the various areas in which he, would, he was orthodox. Right. Um, yep. And then, yeah, it'd be all over the map there. Um, um. I just, uh, yeah, I just want to talk in and around all of this issue. Uh, I think that uh, you've you've made it pretty clear about the how it's it's a foundational. Uh, it's it's a question of starting points. It and is. Yeah. When you uh, once you once you've uh, placed yourself on or under a a particular authority, uh, elevated something to that magisterial level, as you put it uh, very well. Uh, that's going to that's basically going to set the trajectory for all of your other uh, interpretation but uh, again what my, my so my, my question in all of that is the uh, the scientific observations themselves uh, that uh, that seem to or that could plausibly be be said to support uh, an evolutionary model at yeah. uh, at first blush uh, what what do we make of these there's, there's, again, back in the 80s with the uh, uh, ev evidence against an evolutionary interpretation of that data becoming so prominent that you could do hundreds of debates. Dwayne Gish uh, was, was probably the most famous debater. He did over 300 debates. Uh, he, he died uh, quite a while ago now, but many debates have been done by many different people. And um, the, the, the data often fits the biblical framework far, in, in, in a way better way manner than trying to fit it in with evolution. For example, similarities in living things, homology, right? That's a, that's a big one for evolution. For example, we have five fingers and five toes. And well, frogs have five little fingers and bats' wings have, there's five bones that have the, the skin between them that make up the bat's wing. And so you see that five digit pattern in many different living things. And there's two different explanations. The evolutionary explanation that most people have heard is, oh, that's because we evolved from a common ancestor millions of years ago that had those five digits. All yeah. these different life forms that have these five digits go back to this ancient life form. But the explanation of common designer is far superior than common ancestor. It, oftentimes, the five digits will be constructed as, as the living thing grows at the embryo stage and, and, and so on, be constructed in completely different ways. In one way, the different bones, for example, in our fingers grow. In another way, there's a pad that develops that, that be eventually becomes the hand, and the, the material between the fingers disappears. So the five digits you, you end up with five digits, but you get there through a completely different path. And it gets even worse for the evolutionist at the genetic level because it, it, it should all happen. It should all be the same at the genetic level, but the genes are completely different that code for how to get these things. Another one, the fossil record. We mentioned this already. Um, Noah's flood is a far superior explanation for the fossil record. A global flood rapidly burying living things. We find, you can find like fossil leaves with, you can still see the vein structure of the mm -hmm. leaf there. Well, that thing didn't lay around for any length of time at all. Right. There's very little decomposition there. It must have been rapidly buried. And then you have, you have 
animals, even dinosaurs, with skin on them, fossilized skin. Not even the skin decomposed before this, in some cases, very large animal was buried. Uh, Noah's flood, great, uh, much superior explanation than millions of years of slow deposition. The diversity mm -hmm. of life. We have so many different life forms. And again, the Bible is the superior explanation. The evolutionary explanation is they all come from a single cell. Millions of years ago, all the diversity of life came from a single cell. It's, it's far easier, and, and it makes more sense that God created kinds of living things. The dog kind, the cat kind, the giraffe kind, the elephant kind, the, the palm tree kind, the people kind, and so on. And then you can have changes within a kind. But those changes, scientists have discovered, are limited. It's not limitless. Mm -hmm. You can't just change and change and change and change, and eventually a single cell becomes a horse or a human. That, that, scientifically, that doesn't work. There are changes within a kind, which is exactly the terminology of Genesis. Reproduce after their kind. That's how God made things. Far superior explanation than, uh, than slow and gradual evolution. Dinosaurs. Di people think, well, dinosaurs... That's evidence for evolution. Dinosaurs are evolution. There's such mm -hmm. a link there. But mm -hmm. dinosaurs lived until very, very recently. Scientists have been finding, uh, making amazing discoveries in dinosaur bones. Inside dinosaur bones, there's blood cells. Yes. Blood yeah. vessels. Even fragments of DNA. Have, I mean, not enough to have Jurassic Park over oh, I was over just going to say, <laughs> I kind of got my hopes up there a minute. <laughs> yeah, well, they're trying that with, with mammoths and mastodons. Wow. They're actually trying to, because we have an, uh, a mama elephant that exists, that's the elephant kind. Yeah. And so it's possible, scientists are thinking, we're not there yet, the technology isn't there to do it at this point, but they're thinking maybe we can resurrect these, uh, these extinct types of elephants, mammoths and mastodons, uh, and, and get them back. Uh, astounding. But in dinosaurs, you have all this stuff, I mean, blood cells. How I mean, they're dried, and then you rehydrate it when the, when the scientists find it and so on, but you have blood cells and blood vessels. How, they, they can't last millions of years. Right. It yeah. just, the Bible makes way more sense out of the observations that scientists are finding. It's very difficult to fit in, for example, those dinosaur bones. How do you explain blood cells and blood vessels and little fragments of DNA still there after what dinosaurs were supposed to have died 65 million years ago? That's a, that's a scientific impossibility. Mm -hmm. like, it, it's way easier just to go yeah. with scripture. Uh, yeah, and we, uh, I mean, we can observe some of these things even today. Like I've got, uh, not dinosaurs, but uh, <laughs> unless you know something I don't, and you probably do, but uh, I'm just thinking, I have a, a woman at our church who's a, a dog breeder. She breeds uh, Australian shepherds. And so talking about, she's talking about there's, you know, standard and mini and great and these different, right. they're just, they're acknowledged as different breeds. And I said, oh, like, how do you, uh, how do you tell them apart and say, oh, like to get a mini, you just take the two smallest and breed them together. Yeah. And you just take the two smallest and breed them together. So, you know, over the course of five years, you can come out with a, you know, a brand new breed of dog. Right. Yeah. That's artificial selection. That's, that's, yeah. that's well understood. Right. And natural selection. Oh, you know, we should have mentioned this when we started here, speaking of defining terms, when we say evolution, what we mean by that and what the theistic evolutionists mean by that is it actually not always, let me define it first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> evolution is, we could say molecules to man, 
evolution, that large scale right. evolution or from yeah. goo to you via the zoo, that kind of evolution. Yeah. That doesn't happen. But if people mean natural selection or adaptation or artificial selection, what you just described, you can mm -hmm. breed different types of dogs or racehorses or tulips or roses or, or what, what you might have. Um, that's, that's well understood. That's a fact. Natural selection happens. Um, we've got artificial selection and the environment can select for certain traits in living things. That's adaptation. Mm. Living things become adapted to changing climates. It's brilliant programming by God. Now, there are limits to that. It, it's, it's not endless, uh, but, but it, it just shows, it shows the amazing engineering by God. Uh, and that is, those are facts. Genetic change over time, that's a fact. Adaptation is a fact. Living things change over time. That's a fact. But evolution, that, that molecules to man version, that's what we're talking about. That doesn't happen. And there's scientific reasons that that doesn't happen and biblical reasons that that doesn't happen. Right. Um, so that's the, another important definition there. Yeah. So we, <laughs> some definitions of evolution are change in allele frequency over time. Well, then I'm an evolutionist because I believe that there are changes in allele frequency over time. That's a terrible definition of evolution. Um, then we'd all be evolutionists, and then creationists would be evolutionists. But uh, even speciation, in a population of living things, you can have such diversity over time that individuals over time that are very different in that single population might no longer be able to interbreed. At that point, technically, one species has become two. But the kinds of changes, talking about genetic changes that scientists see in living things, as adaptation happens, are downhill changes. Those changes happen at a cost. Now, God put a huge amount of genetic potential there, all kinds of information in the original created kinds, which is why we can, we can breed different kinds of dogs and so on. And uh, that makes sense. Also helps us uh, understand Noah's flood. Because then Noah didn't have to take, for example, thinking about dogs, chihuahuas and Great Danes and German shepherds and, and all these different varieties and, and coyotes and dingoes and wolves and foxes. And right. he just had to take two dogs. Yeah. And from those two dogs, we got all the variety that we have today of the dogs. It makes, it makes uh, uh, the whole ark situation much, much more uh, easy to understand and easy for yeah. Noah and his crew there taking care of these animals. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm still committed to a uh, you know an ark with a, a skylight cut out for the giraffes to put their heads out. Oh yeah, so. yeah, okay. That's on every church nursery wall, yeah. I think. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, Richard, I want to uh, I want to pivot uh, just a little bit here. Uh, we talked about uh, how how important it is that uh, you know in the beginning there was not death uh, that uh, that death came in only at, uh, you know, after sin. Right, yeah. Um, what, uh, be beyond, beyond just the, the sort of the established fact or reality of the, the plain biblical record, uh, what is at stake at this in this debate? Um, so I'm, I'm thinking off the top of my head, you know, all our actions, uh, you know, flow out of our, our doctrine. Our right. actions flow out of our, our pre-commitments. So if I believe that uh, that I'm just, you know, one, you know, one uh, re re result of random, you know, eventual mutations, uh, as you said, uh, 
from the uh, from the goo through the zoo to you, yeah. and you're the same thing. There's no there's no image of God that I need to be concerned of between between you and me. There's no uh, there's no such thing as human dignity except as a you know broadly acknowledged social construct. Yep. Um, so just that, that's kind of one one uh, instance that yeah uh, those are some of the implications um, and, and we could think of uh, we could go on from there and think of Romans one for example where it talks about when you look at the creation the evidence that there is a creator is clear yeah that's what Romans one 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 twenty says um, that when you look at the creation that no one has an excuse that they are without excuse because the creation screams that there's a creator. Well, if theistic evolutionists are right, then the creation does not scream that there's a creator. The creation is the result of millions of years of random processes. Right. So what does that yeah. do for Romans 1 and the theology that, that comes out of that? Um, it, it, mm. That's a devastating thing. One of the big things, I think, is you, you talked about um, the value of human life. That's, that's huge. What is that? If, if we just evolve from pond scum over millions of years, then... Um, you know, in the in the way that you might get rid of spare cats, get rid of spare kids. Yeah, uh, that's that's one of the ways it's been said nowadays. You wouldn't dare get rid of spare cats. I, right. Yeah. <laughs> there's a reversal uh, of that. There's a there's a valuing of the creation, um, the the animal world rather than humans. Uh, yeah. But there's no, that's that's a good point. The divinizing of nature, because if nature is this undirected or self-directed thing, yep. then uh, we're all the yeah. same value. Yeah. Yep. Uh, if you if you don't if you if you say that it's wrong to kill a human, well, we just evolve from the other animals, so it's also wrong to kill them. That's right. And so you get that kind of philosophy going on. But the the overriding thing that the biggest danger, I think, is the um, is just placing outside ideas, extra biblical ideas, over Scripture. Mm-hmm. You open up a massive can of worms that has implications for just about everything. If you're going to take extra biblical ideas like millions of years and we just evolved through random processes over millions of years and and force that onto the clear text of scripture, the origins account in Genesis for example, and and creation is referred to in in many places throughout scripture. But where does that end? Where do you right. You know, if you're if you're going to do that, then well, all these philosophies that we're dealing with now in Canada and many other Western nations, where the norms of Western society or Christian society ha- are are being torn down because of outside ideas, and you're taking these outside ideas uh, that men and women are completely equal in every way, and so you can swap between them and so on. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, God did not make male and female. It, it's just you know we we need to un- interpret that in a particular way, and uh, and and it's just it's a it's a spectrum. You see uh, that kind of thing. Um, it, it there's no end to it. That's the biggest issue. Yeah, right. there are other issues as as well, but um, right, taking ideas and placing them above the authority of the Bible. There's, there's no end to the damage that that does. Yeah, yeah. We opened up. We called this uh, this episode Christian compromise, and compromise is not always uh, malicious or vindictive, but it uh, it has far far-reaching implications that yes. uh, 
you know, once you've uh, once you've opened the door to a definition or an authority that that goes beyond or puts itself above or before the authority of the Word of God, it is so over. Yeah, and that's uh, again, that's why part of the reason why with the, uh, the our current uh, climate of sexuality, you know, twenty years ago it was gay marriage. That's all we want. All we want right. is to you know, the ability to have this one institution leave us alone and stop oppressing us and let us have the same thing that, uh, that heterosexual people have. Yeah. And that's, uh, there's no, if it's not one man and one woman uh, joined together as, uh, as God created, then there's no logical stopping point for, you know, one man and one man. The, once, right. once you've opened that door, yeah. you know, there's no, no limit to the, you know, the gender or the number or anything else. Right, yeah. And so I guess the, the question comes up, well, why would a Christian want to marry these two ideas? Naturalistic right. evolution over yep. millions of years. And you touched on this at the beginning of the show here. It's academic respectability. Hmm. If you, like with all of this science against evolution— with all of this, and it's it's all ignored or or just quietly swept under the rug and so on. Um, with, with all of this, why would you why would you do that? And it, it's not supported by Scripture at all. Academic respectability. You you hit the nail on the head. Actually, oh, if hey. you stand up, I was going a, from notes that you it, had shared. So that's uh, <laughs> in, a, in an academic environment. Yeah, if you stand up in in any university campus, let's say, and you announce boldly that you believe that the world is just a few thousand years old and that there was once a global, like as in continent-covering flood, and only eight people survived on a massive wooden barge, you'll, you'll be laughed off the campus. Yeah. You'll be shamed. Yeah. Remember the politicians? Politicians have let that one slip. There was, years ago, it was Stockwell Day. Right. That, uh, yeah. that, that hinted that maybe evolution's not the answer for how we got here. And maybe God had something to do with creating us. He was shamed out of the political arena. He's still involved a little bit, but yeah. um, it, it, it's academic respectability. And yet, that simple story, God created fairly recently, still many thousands of years ago, lots, mm -hmm. lots of time there, and, and he did it in the way that Genesis said he did it. That's the answer. That's actually correct. As as simplistic as it sounds, that's true. Just just go with scripture. And even for those of you who are listening, you're maybe, well, I'm not into science, I'm not into the creation evolution issue. To some extent, you don't need to be. Because all you need to do is read scripture and you'll get it right. If you if you read scripture and you read there, oh, there was a global flood, and you just put two and two, start putting two and two together, oh, okay, well, scientists have found uh, you know, this, this fossil here, and they're, they're saying it's millions of years old. Well, well, the flood wasn't millions of years ago. Uh, so that fossil's probably fairly young. You know what? You're right. And you don't need to be a paleontologist or geologist to come to that conclusion. All you need to do is read your scripture. Now, the science, the, the science supporting creation, supporting biblical creation is, is fun. It's, it's fun knowing some of this stuff. And if you do know some of this stuff, I mean, there's, there's over 14,000 articles at creation.com. That's our website. Yeah. And if by knowing some of this stuff, you can have conversations with people who might be thinking, well, maybe God used evolution, and, and what do I do with that? And, and they're not sure. 
So some of the, knowing some of the science is fun, but at the end of the day, Scripture gives you the basics of what you need to know. With, with science, we can sort of fill in the blanks, the, 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 the silent areas where Scripture doesn't tell us exactly how it happened, but the Bible doesn't tell us, well, fossils were produced during the global flood, right. but we can deduce that very simply just by reading Scripture and understanding what the global flood was like. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I had a friend when I was uh, early in my days in, uh, in Bible college, and we were all getting exposed to you know, broader uh, theories and uh, th- theories of world history and uh, other uh, like sort of uh, creation narratives from outside of, of Scripture. Right. And it's uh, it's fascinating to uh, to see how many uh, cultures in from different parts of the world have a uh, a cataclysm narrative, have a great flood story. Yes. And I had uh, I, I I had a friend. Uh, who uh, he he was Trinidadian and he was just a real no nonsense kind of guy and there were a few of us who were more bookish and we were sort of discussing some of the implications here and there about some of these things and he just kind of swats the table and he says these guys have a local flood these guys have a local flood they got a local flood it all adds up to a global flood there you go <laughs> that is that's like you know 18 years ago it's always stuck with me. Yeah, there's over 400 flood legends around the world. Even people in Hawaii and the Fiji Islands have a legend in their own people's history hmm. of a cataclysm. There's usually off, there's often parallels to the biblical account. It's often there's a favored individual or a favored family. It's a watery cataclysm, not something yeah. from asteroids or fire or something. It's, it's, it involves water. They built a vessel to escape it. There's all these, these same similarities. Now, why in the world would the people living in Fiji have in their own people's history an account of something like a global flood, a global catastrophe, global watery catastrophe? It's because all people in the world came from Noah's family. Mm-hmm. So all people in the world so actually they, do have a flood legend in their people's history. They've got that common heritage, yes. common ancestry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that the flood legends are, are powerful support for what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. That's another thing that theistic evolutionists would have to argue against if you, if you believe there was no global flood, because they don't believe there was a global flood. It's millions of years of slow processes that laid down the rock record that we have right. and the fossils contained in it. So it's no global flood. So there's another thing. There's just, again, there's mountains of historical data, like like the flood legends and scientific data, that need to be refuted in order for just plain old atheistic evolution to be true. Mm. And the same thing applies to theistic evolution. Again, they're just taking the whole evolution bandwagon and just saying, well, I believe in God. They're, they're not saying God got it over the, the rough parts. Um, and, and you, you just have to ignore so much science and, and so much history to believe in evolution. That, that's why it was shocking that, uh, it, and it's still shocking that, uh, this is so po- it's, it's, it's become popular again in, in our day. Right. Yeah. Richard, I really appreciate your time here. This has been a great conversation. Uh, Richard Fangrad, you've already mentioned it, but we'll say it again. Creation.com that's is the one. your website, uh, Loads of resources there on the uh, ultimately the authority of Scripture. Right. Um, if I can uh, reduce it and uh, and take it away from 
simply creation for creation's sake. It's not creation for creation's sake. It's creation for the sake of, you know, the authority of Scripture and everything that depends on that. Right. Yeah, it's really about a Christian worldview, about applying Scripture to geology and paleontology and astronomy and all these other disciplines so that we have a Christian view in all of these areas. And when you do that, the remarkable thing is science makes sense. It doesn't make sense if you start with an anti-biblical, like, for example, an evolutionary worldview. Mm. Suddenly you run into all these difficulties. So yeah, it's it's a great time to be a Christian. There's so much data (laughs) out there that, uh, that just wonderfully fits with the person who believes that the Bible is true. It, it fits with that notion. Amen. Right. Well, you've heard it here. It is a good time to be a Christian. And from, uh, from all of us here at uh, the Ezra Institute, uh, Richard, thanks again for being here. This has been the podcast for Cultural Reformation, and we remind you that from him and through him and to him are all things. And that we say that every week. It takes on an extra layer of meaning after uh, after this conversation we've just had but appreciate you being here uh, thanks for listening we'll see you again next week <laughs>